Makes sense. So really, uh, really simple, narrow role then you've got. Yeah, so. no, it's tiny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I always cool. joke, like the day that everybody knows everything is the day that I'm out of a job. <laughs> That's good. I think you'll be around for a while then. Uh, job, you know, job retirement. Thanks. Uh, welcome to the third episode of the East Peak Podcast. Um, on this show, we interview operators, individual contributors, and leaders that make the go-to-market world go round. On this particular episode, I have the distinct pleasure of interviewing Jim Rose, a longtime seller and sales enablement uh, veteran. Uh, welcome, Jim. Awesome, man. Thanks for having me. Cool. So um, I was thinking back about this, but uh, I actually met you... Uh, Seven years and two days ago on uh, December 5th, uh, way back in 2000, or maybe, uh, yeah, 16 or 17, I need to double check, but um, you were overseeing my enablement uh, first week boot camp at New Relic, and uh, we got to talk about bikes, and uh, here we are, you know, seven years later, so. Oh, that's uh, great. Yeah, it's, it's uh, my how time flies. <laughs> wow. Cool. So, um, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on the podcast today is I think that um, particularly in this environment um, where organizations are being asked to do uh, much, much more with less uh, since money is not free anymore. I think that enablement in particular offers one of the highest leverage um, opportunities for organizations to operate with better rep productivity uh, and better unit economics and, and really all that good stuff. So today, you know, would love to learn a little bit more about your journey and how you think about sales enablement in general, but for just a little bit of background, um, you know, I think I noted that you had been selling for maybe at least seven years before yeah. making the pivot. And since pivoting into sales enablement, you've helped lead really high performing enablement organizations at New Relic, Okta, and currently Thousand Eyes, uh, part of Cisco. Um, yeah. What else would you like to add to that background that might be helpful for the audience? Yeah, no, good. Uh, that's that's kind of the 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 net net on it. I did about uh, eight or nine years as kind of a project and program manager early in my career, uh, and then transitioned into sales and did B two B SaaS software sales for several years uh, across a few shops. I was at a startup that was acquired by CA. Spent a few years at CA and then uh, New Relic, uh, and then transitioned into enablement during my tenure at, at New Relic and have stayed. Kind of, kind of found my calling there. Realized this is really what I, what I like to do, what I'm good at, what I'm drawn to. Uh, get a lot of satisfaction from it. And so I, uh, at, the, at the time, it was still pretty early on. Like enablement, enablement was just kind of becoming like a thing. Uh, I'm sure there's folks who've been doing it a lot longer who would disagree, but uh, it seems like in the last ten years or so, it's really kind of come into its own in terms of a, of a, of a practice and a role and a, and a set of a set of uh, kind of an established way of doing things. So. It's been a good run. Very cool. Um, I know, at least at the time, Dave Walters, who's now at Okta, uh, he believed firmly in taking really high-performing sellers and putting them in support and operating roles in the business. I know, you know that was part of the reason that I was picked to lead uh, and build out the SDR function there. Um, what what kind of drove that pivot for you? Was it something along those lines? Yeah, it was actually. So I started looking for something else to do. Um, I enjoyed sales. I think I was pretty good at it. Uh, but I've always been a bit more of an altruist. You know, my original plan back, uh, you know, back at university was to 
uh, get a PhD and teach. And then I realized I actually liked money and, and mm. things. And so I decided to get a, you know, get a job and, uh, and, and give that a try. But uh, it, it's always been in my nature to, to be a, you know, a helper, a facilitator, a, a supporter, a coach. Uh, and so when I was able to, you know, take what I learned in sales uh, and and apply it to enablement, that seemed like a really good fit. I looked at a lot of other ways to, you know, kind of directions to go. I thought about, you know, continuing on in direct sales, going into sales leadership, uh, customer success, even product roles. Um, but, you know, ultimately enablement seemed like a really good fit for kind of my native skill set and, and also really my, my personality profile. Very cool. Um, and I know as a while ago now, um, and we can dive into this a little later, maybe like advice for those of whom that want to follow a similar path, but yeah. what are some of the things that were maybe like non-obvious about the role in the space when you're pivoting over from a successful seller to an enablement role like that? Not obvious about the enablement space, you mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. There's um there wasn't the time and there's there still is really is no, you know, kind of established way of doing things. It's we're, we're I think I think we're all kind of uh you know, making it up as we go along. Maybe the the problems continue to just change and adapt and evolve, but uh there's there's certainly no real script you run. There's some standards and and things that you fall back on, but uh, there's, you know, it's, it's at the time I really didn't know what I was getting into. I knew how to sell. I knew what our product did. Uh, so that was a really good, um, that sort of, sort of set me up well to transition into something new. I've, I've had this conversation multiple times with folks along, along the way. I just, just was speaking to somebody a few weeks ago who's a seller looking to transition into enablement. And, you know, my advice was, was, Hey, like you, your your value is you know how the company operates you you know how how to sell and how they work and what the value is there's a there's a tremendous opportunity and value there to move you know within an organization if you if someone is thinking about transitioning into enablement um it's i think it's much harder if you're to try to do that you know get a new role and move into a new company certainly much easier to do it when you uh when you've built up credibility, uh, you've got experience in a particular organization and how they operate. That would be the the sweet spot of, you know, someone looking to, to transition into an enablement role. Other folks in enablement tend to come at it more from like an enablement practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're instructional designers, they were project managers, program managers, uh, and they come at enablement kind of from that angle. Um, s- certainly a super valid way to come at it. And, and that's a, a set of skills that if you don't have coming in, you'll certainly need to and have to learn quickly. Uh, and that that's kind of what my, what my journey was like was knowing how to sell, but then having to learn how to build and and roll out programs and you know capture requirements and 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 deploy things that uh, that sales leadership is is needing and asking for, and then learning how to you know basically measure and track and report and all that fun stuff. So mm-hmm. makes sense. So kind of zooming forward to your current role, like what is your uh, specific like remit and like, yeah, what are your kind of like roles or responsibilities uh, at Thousand Eyes? Yeah. So I, so Thousand Eyes part of Cisco. Um, we are a thousand or so people within, uh, you know, Cisco, which is obviously a, a giant organization. Uh, we uh, effectively function as like a sell through motion. So we, we are, it's, it's kind of a best of both worlds. We function a little bit like an independent startup within uh, you know, but still having all of this like weight and might and power of, of Cisco behind us and, and to and to sell through. 
Uh, so my, my charter is really over all of go-to-market sales enablement. So uh, from direct sellers to sales engineering, customer success, partner and channel, uh, SDRs, et cetera. Essentially, the extended go-to-market team uh, sort of falls under my remit to basically build and deploy training and enablement out to all of those individual users. So I, I really see it as like, how do you get, you know, the simple way to say it is, is how do you get folks connected to the thing that they need when they need it to help them do their job more effect, effectively and efficiently? Mm -hmm. uh, how do you get them from, you know, day, day one to kind of ramped and job ready uh, in the shortest amount of time uh, possible? Uh, how do you, you know, um, train and enable and educate people on all of the things that are happening in a, in a fast moving organization in the course of a, a week? Uh, there's so much going on. So a big part of the role is really kind of curating the things and prioritizing the things and trying to deliver it in a way to sellers that uh, that it's sort of pre-vetted. And we try to do what we can to be a bit of a filtering function. Uh, so they're, you know, basically they're able to spend more time selling and less time figuring out what they need to pay attention to as far as internal announcements and things of that nature. Makes sense. So really, uh, really simple, narrow role then you've got. Yeah, so. no, it's tiny. Yeah, yeah. I always cool. joke like the day that everybody knows everything is the day that I'm out of a job. <laughs> That's good. I think you'll be around for a while then, uh, job, you know, barring security. retirement. Okay, That's cool. That's right. <laughs> so, um, you know, you and I have worked uh, together at two companies now and, it, you know, presumably at the other businesses you've been a part of in enablement too, uh, might have like slightly different reporting structures for enablement. I've seen parts, I've seen it bifurcated between kind of the sales side and then like general product marketing um, and things like that, like in your opinion, and maybe it varies a little bit by the kind of the product and the space and the technicality of the product, but what do you think is like your ideal state for, should you split up the team? Should it have one cohesive group and who should that roll up to? Yeah, I, I think the closer it is to sales, the better. Um, you know, I've, I've reported in through sales operations that can work pros and cons, um, I, I've I've preferred when I've had, uh, you know, or been in kind of a direct path to the CRO. And I think that's like the best home for enablement. If if there's like you need leadership alignment and buy in to, to feel like they've got, you know, ownership, stakeholdership over the program uh, to to, you know, to drive people to the program. Um, the further you get away from sales, it, it, I always sort of feel like it becomes more of. Uh, almost like an HR function, nothing, not to throw shade on our friends in HR, obviously, but uh, it, it seems to have more wood behind the arrow when enablement is is as closely aligned to sales as it can be. And and you, ultimately, you, you need that point of view and perspective. You know, you need to be aligned to your sales leaders. You need to have a seat at the table. You need to be in QBRs, you know, to find out what what are the sellers contended with, what's going on, what's working, what's not. Uh, so that you're, you know, you're not uh, getting that information two or three levels removed. Uh, I've worked in places where we were uh, in different parts of the org, like in the marketing organization, for example. And I, I didn't think that that was as good of a home for enablement mm -hmm. to be. You know, it really, it is, it is sales enablement. You've got to still think and act and talk and walk uh, like the people that you're supporting and your customers' sales. So the closer you're aligned you are to them, uh, I think that just is a benefit to the to the organization. Makes sense. So obviously, the I think when it comes to actually performing, um, you know, the sales org is obviously going to have the most skin in the game. So I think living yeah. in that world um, probably makes the most sense. Like, I do like the idea of these teams rolling up to RevOps in concept, but I think one of the weaknesses I've seen is that like 
If you have a RevOps org that really is pretty empowered and strategic, that would probably be great. Yeah. Um, but very often what I've seen is that you might have the title of RevOps, but you're really uh, much closer to the classical sales ops role and you're running around doing a lot of tactical stuff. And so, again, you kind of get short shrift if you roll up to that kind of team. I agree. It's it's just it's pretty enablement's pretty far outside of the charter, and and I think core competency and skill set of what a really good ops team does. Like mm-hmm. as an example, our ops team here is it's a huge team. It's geez, it's probably twenty twenty five people, uh, and they almost function. I mean, they basically function like a like a dev shop. You know, mm. they are building and releasing features. They're on sprints. Uh, to basically get you know Salesforce uh, integrations, dashboards, widgets, improvements, uh, you know all, all level of process changes. So being the kind of wizards behind the curtain of the sales process is a, it, we need to have alignment to them and great relationships with them. And and you know that's always been something I've been very keen on. Like you being good at enablement or being able to be successful at it is really like you know knowing which of those heads of state to keep really close and. And uh, and and be supportive of because you're going to need a lot of help from product marketing, marketing, sales operations, and and a bunch of other folks. But um, you know, I think I think ultimately uh, it, it's better when we're peers in terms of enablement and ops because it is much more complementary. Uh, and I I do think that we both need our own very different and direct access into sales leadership. Makes sense. Um, so a little earlier you talked about kind of two two most common pathways of coming into enablement. You know, you talked about coming from selling and then maybe beefing up potentially in some like educational science type chops or things yeah. like that. And then other people kind of coming from that world. Um, how much do you think about integrating learnings from that world or maybe even concepts like spaced repetition or others? Like, is that something that you spend a lot of time thinking on or is it more just kind of like, let's get to it kind of thing? You know, if if I had more time, I would, and it's it's one of those things I probably uh, probably always should do more of. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about it in terms of trying to always, you know, one thing I'm always doing is like shopping for, trying to keep my finger on, uh, you know, n- new technologies that are hitting the market. Uh, I was, you know, I'm fortunate that I get, uh, you know, once or twice a quarter, I'll get pinged from someone who's starting a startup has a neat idea and kind of wants to run a product, you know, a, a new product idea by me. Um, in, in terms of the the project management, I I, I think there's, um, you know, we could always probably be better project managers. If I had my brothers, I'd probably hire somebody who was really good at that mm-hmm. as a specific function. Um, I think for the most part, uh, you know, I've, I've just built up enough skill over the last, whatever it is now, eight, eight, nine, ten years of doing it that, um, you know, I know what it takes to get products up and off the ground, projects up and off the ground. Um, and it, that really changes in organizations. And, you know, it's one of the things I'm learning here. I'm, you know, being pushed pretty far outside of my skill set and comfort zone. Because as you can imagine, Cisco has a level of, uh, you know, product or project management rigor uh, that that is uh, as, as good as it gets. And so, um, you know, projects actually have dedicated professional project managers who have been doing this for, you know, for decades. So that's very different from, uh, you know, a couple of roles I've had where, you know, you're you're in a fast moving startup and everyone's doing 12 jobs. Uh, so it's it's uh, the, the focus isn't on making it perfect or making it pretty. The focus is on just getting it done as soon as as soon as you can. Mm-hmm. So it's it's nice to have an opportunity to kind of like learn more 
you know, flex those muscles, develop those different skills, uh, and kind of up level my own my own game around some of the uh, the, the project management uh, functions because it is it is really critical to to getting things off the ground and delivered well. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, and so the answer to this next question is probably a little bit like company stage dependent, but there's probably some universalities behind it too. But what do you think is like on average, like the biggest bottleneck uh, for to get sales teams performing well um, when it comes to enablement? It's time and attention, really. It just, it just comes down to time and attention. You know, we, the, the, the catch 22 is, is how do you, you know, how do you, how do you train people adequately to, to get them to do their job beyond a shadow of a doubt? Um, you know, realistically, I need to put you in training for eight hours, you know, 40 hours a week for, for 20 weeks to really be able to definitively say that you can do all the things, you know, all the things you can prospect, discover, qualify, you can do all the things in Salesforce, uh, you know, to really be able to do your job at a hundred percent proficiency. And even that's a bit of a stretch. Um, so it, it really comes down to you, you don't get that much time. Uh, you know, you don't attention spans aren't getting any longer. People aren't, aren't getting less distracted. So how do you, how do you build sort of the minimum viable to, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think be realistic with what people can do in terms of time. You know, I have reps that start uh, and they need to be, you know, basically doing things on day one. So uh, it isn't like we have all of the, the luxury of time to really, uh, effectively and adequately train people. So it, it becomes a game of how do you, how do you do the minimum viable with the time that you have and the attention that you have to make the biggest impact for people? Mm. And I, I think that's the the thing I think about most, the thing that we're challenged with the most. Uh, and I hear that from a lot of my peers in enablement is, is just constantly trying to, to think of ways to, uh, you know, sort of meet reps where they are to be really mindful of how much they are, have going on, how busy they are. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're up, it's the hardest job in the world. They're up against the number, uh, they have, they're being asked to do so many things and pull in so many different directions. So, you know, I think it's important to be very cognizant of that and, and empathetic to it really like mm -hmm. you know, that any, any, any minute you're taking away or asking for a, a seller's attention span, uh, is, is a very expensive minute. And so we, we take those minutes really seriously and try to be as effective and efficient and impactful as we can with them. Makes sense. Um, so let's see here. Yeah, I mean, in response to that, I mean, we definitely live in a world of trade-offs and I, I could see, you know, you don't necessarily aren't necessarily making like a satisfying versus maximizing trade-off, but just like what has the highest leverage yeah. um, for sure. I think one of the biggest changes I've seen since a lot of us have gone remote or at least like hybrid since COVID is um, like the vector or the medium by which we get a lot of the enablement. Hmm. Um, I think like the social pressure of needing to pay attention in person um, loses some of its grasp when you're going through like an LMS module. Like yeah. how do you think about that? And like, how to, how does that uh, affect kind of compliance in your perspective? Yeah. You know, it's funny that we're all kind of, it's, it's weird that, you know, I did live in person, 30, 40, 50, 60 people a month for years across a couple different shops, you know, people coming from all over the world. And you think now of like what that would, you know, the time and the money to do that. It's, it's crazy to think we ever did that, but it, it also, it, you know, it made for a really good experience. And, uh, you know, folks learn, you, you, you can just do a lot more. You can go deeper and faster when you've got people in a room, you can kind of control their attention spans in a way that you just can't, 
uh, you know, in, in the virtual world. Um, in an ideal world, it's it's a it's a bit of you use a bit of both. Um, mm-hmm. You 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 know, cost and time permitting, you would uh, you know you'd have some really strategic time where teams are getting together and you can do live in person training because again you really can go like you can cover a lot of ground you can you can move fast you can go deep and you can really tell you know kind of what the engagement is and what people are getting out of it and 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 people also get a lot you see them get a lot out of that uh, and and not just what they learn but you know the, the the camaraderie the culture that comes from that and those you know are, are easy things to to kind of overstate it's really valuable from a culture perspective when when you know when teams get together and and, and have that you know that 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 together time um, but there's an efficiency that you can't ignore about the remote world and, you know, being able to bring people in from all over the world into a remote call and, and, uh, and, you know, and, and do what you can in zoom and, and also through e-learning. Uh, I think there's certain kinds of content that lends itself to the different modes, you know, like mm-hmm. tools training, in my opinion, a great is really great for like e-learning content. Um, a, a lot of the, you know, kind of the base calisthenics or exercises you would do are great for e-learning content. But in order to really like bring it together, uh, you know, messaging, for example, objection handling, competitive competitive positioning, you know, those are kinds of things you really have to see and hear people fumble through it and figure it out. And, and that gives us a sense like, are they picking up the material? Are they getting it? Can can they do the thing or not? Uh, and so you, you you need to have both. And I, I think it's like um you know the 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 e-learning stuff and the and the the remote stuff is kind of like eating your vegetables. It's it's necessary and it's efficient and effective, uh, but you got to intersperse that with a little bit of uh, of live where you can. We're we're slowly moving back towards that, which is great. Yeah, I'm definitely a big fan of the in-person kind of boot boot camp type week if if your company can afford that or yeah. if it's mostly in-person or hub based because. One, I think like, yes, it's important to like learn the products, but I think there's like a lot of other like meta benefits where it's like you're getting buy-in about the culture, you're jibing, you're yeah. hopefully you're meeting people in other organizations that you wouldn't run into if bonds, like I think it's at the front end, like it's definitely really helpful. And then like when you can, I think like layering stuff around QBRs or like a big H2 event or something as a nice compromise, I think too. But absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Those are all great opportunities to, you know, piggyback on QBRs is a good one. Um, kickoff events are great ones, but anything you can do to, you know, to help, uh, to, to bring people together and to, and just have people in a, in a physical room together is it's a huge, uh, benefit to culture and, and to content, you know, people just get, they get a lot more out of it. So maybe most importantly, when you've got them in person, you can tell if your jokes are actually landing or not. That's exactly right. Yeah, my jokes never land, so I'm, I'm used to I'm used to talking in the, the, the live and virtual worlds. <laughs> <laughs> that Venn diagram is a circle. Okay, <laughs> that's right. So, um, how do you think about? You mentioned a little earlier, uh, like metrics and accountability. Like, how do you think about measuring success? Like, what is your mental framework for that? And maybe what what is the tactical implications? Yeah, it's funny. It's a good segue because I was just thinking, you know, the the hard thing about the live stuff and the you know obviously the cost impl- implication to, hey, I want to fly forty people from around the world, you know, for a week a month, uh, you know, the cost impact is massive. So how would you ever justify that if I'm a if I'm a you know a CFO looking at that? It's it's a tough it's a tough pill to swallow, um, and it's a hard thing to metricize. You know, you've you've got to you're selling on really soft metrics. For, for a program like that. So you have to have mm-hmm. leaders that really buy in and, you know, buy in on it and believe in it and push for it. Uh, Cause I don't, I don't think you'd ever really be able to uh, 
defend it really with 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 numbers. But um, so the question about metrization is it's it's a hard thing to do in enablement. You know, everybody asks this, and it's one of these things that comes up in in job interviews, you know, all the time. But um, I don't, I really don't think, or I think it would be very very difficult to you know draw and be able to make causal links between what you train folks on and what they can or can't do. And again, you, you could do it, but it would require putting people through training uh, content and, and material that would be so time intensive. Uh, no one, it wouldn't be palatable. No mm. one would, would be able to justify the, you know, the time and energy and attention asked to have a rep in, you know, in a classroom for X number of, of weeks full time mm -hmm. to really be able to zero in on that. Right. Like we, you know, kind of connect folks to content, spoon feed them, give them the the, the sort of kickstart uh, and really require them to go continue their learning journey to get, um, you know, kind of to, to bridge the gap and finish the rest of the way. So what we do is we try to make kind of, uh, you know, to correlate like, hey, mm -hmm. we, we put this amount of time in these kinds of efforts uh, and that helps, you know, we, we think as a result of that, these, you know, we had an impact of these these metrics. Uh, and you try, I think done well, that can be a powerful way to provide some like leading indicators to sales leadership on, you know, are people doing the things? Are they showing up? Um, are they grasping the core concepts? Do we have any folks that maybe that aren't and, and we have opportunities there to kind of step in and see what else is going on and, and help remediate against? But um, it's it's and then when you go through time, it's it's a good way to keep again, kind of a, a different set of metrics and a finger on the pulse of like, what is the, you know, the engagement of the competency of the sales team? Um, are, are they showing up? Are they consuming things? Uh, you know, is, is your content good? Are you providing good content? And we we spend a lot of uh, attention and energy really looking at the content that we, we provide to make sure that we're, you know, just delivering good, good content to our customers. Um, but so it's a little bit of push and pull, like, you know, the content has to be good. You got to build good things so they come. But also we need, you know, leadership to prioritize it and to help drive from there and, and, and drive folks to engage with it. But, um, you know, getting back to your question, I think ultimately we look for for ways to correlate activities that enablement does and then outcomes that we help support. Um, and I, I, I think that it would be very hard to make like kind of causal links. There are certain ways and places you can do that. You run a pitch certification, for example, you know, that's it's you can causally define that, uh, you know, X percentage of your sales team can pitch within a certain range of competence. Mm -hmm. um, but it's 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 much higher calorie. So we are pretty sparing about when and where we deploy that level of uh, rigor. Mm. I've been some of the companies I'm advising and working with. Uh we've been talking about doing like incrementality analysis when it comes to like pipeline contribution, just cause like first touch, last touch, multi-touch, it's all pretty poor. It doesn't tell you much. Right. Um, but really in order to do that, uh, you need to make some cohorts. And I think uh, politically you can get buy-in to do that with targeting with demand gen campaigns or SDR support. I think you can get buy-in, but I think you would probably struggle to get political buy-in. But in my mind, at least you could create a control group where, if you have enough throughput for new sellers, okay, they don't do the in-person event. They do do the in-person event control versus the test group. Um, and then like maybe online modules and stuff. But um, the 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 heat that you probably feel is really similar to the SDR organizations I've led in the past, which is, you know, you are uh, subject to very discreet firm opinions from leadership on exactly what they would want to see from you. And I, I think it would yeah. be pretty hard probably to get that kind of buy-in. 
Yeah, it, it is. Yeah, and everybody's got a really strong opinion about how to do it, what to do, um, you know, how it should be run, what to test on. So, so get, getting that, you're getting that alignment is, uh, you know, is, is honestly one of the big challenges of, I always say enablement isn't that hard. It's mm-hmm. getting people to agree on, you know, what we should enable on is kind of the hard thing. Uh, it's certainly one of the, one of the more difficult parts of the job is, is because, you know, a lot of smart folks that have been doing it for a long time with different backgrounds and have, you know, just different opinions and takes on, uh, you know, what good looks like or how to get from A to B. Uh, but there's so there's certainly good ways to to do it. Um, SDRs are great too because they're you know they're uh, it, it's higher volume and maybe a bit like reduced in terms of what they need to know. The scope's a little narrower, so I've always used them as a really good test bed for mm. um, you know processes, content, whatever it is, um, because you can kind of see it uh, change in real in real time. You know the 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 fruit flies of the sales world. <laughs> Makes sense. Well, I think there's uh unfortunately there's like a lot in common just to dip our toes in a slightly spicier water, but one of the things that's been uh interesting to navigate in my career in terms of managing like large inside sales and SDR teams is there's like a pretty discreet uh prestige kind of pecking order. Um you might be one of the best commercial sales leaders in the world and you might manage a giant organization that does the majority of the revenue throughput for the business, but you'll still get some side eye from enterprise sellers uh, or enterprise leaders. And I think pretty close to the bottom of that pecking order are both SDRs and the people that lead them. And uh, for better, or for worse, you know, enablement sometimes gets bundled down there too. Um, yeah. how, how do you kind of deal with that? Or, you know, how do you think about that problem in terms of getting buy-in and from those people that uh, it might be a pretty big gap between uh, prestige and buy-in? Yeah, you know, the prestige thing, it's, um, I always joke, we're kind of the last ones to get credit and the first ones to get blame. That's just <laughs> part of the job. Uh, and, and it's, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's all good. I, what really, you know, kind of rings my bell is when, you know, when you run a course uh, and, and somebody reaches out to you, a seller reaches out to you in, 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 you know, Slack or chat or whatever, and, and just says, Hey, you know, thanks. This was really incredible. Great job. I, you know, this was the best training that I've had super supported, that that's the stuff that really you know for me is kind of where the rubber hits the road. Like mm-hmm. if you're making, you know, you'll if, if you're getting that feedback from your you know ultimately your end user customer, the challenge is then how do you show that back to the business and and you know show your value through uh, you know a set of subjective and, and objective ways and means to to demonstrate the value of what you're doing and um, not just make it look like a bunch of activity, but also you know, try to, you know, co- correlate it to out, you know, business outcomes. Um, so, um, so I, you know, the, 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 the other part of it is, uh, you know, I think like anything, it's, it's good customer service. It's, it's staying in step with your customers, uh, you know, knowing who your customers are, um, you know, and, and, and solving problems for them. And if you, you know, if you, if you, if you solve problems for them, they, they see you there, uh, doing what they think are the, the valuable things, uh, that that's kind of how I've overcome the, um, you know, the 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 also the political angle or political issue. But mm-hmm. uh, you, you got to earn your keep and earn your credibility. But, um, you know, I think it, and it, it takes time. But once once you do that, uh, I think you kind of earn a seat at the table and uh, and you'll you'll see that in what folks ask you to do and expect from your organization. Makes sense. So to that end, in terms of like earning a seat at the table and being involved, like, do you, do you find, you know, we're kind of in the middle of annual planning season for a lot of businesses. 
Do you find that you get pulled into those conversations very frequently or it's a little more on the receiving end after it's baked in? Uh, a, little, a little bit of both. You know, I'm always trying to keep my keep my radar up and 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 stay, you know, stay as ahead of those conversations as I can and, you know, insert myself anywhere and everywhere I can. Uh, but I'll, you're also going to be on the back end of a lot of things uh, and a lot of requirements and decisions that are made that you're not privy to. So, uh, you know, and I think that's that also comes down to good, you know, again, where, where you sit in the business uh, and having, you know, a, a leader who really gets it, um, gets enablement, understands what you do, what you need, the impact you have, the challenges that you have. Uh, and and having leaders who can, when you're not in the room, can you know basically be good champions to to those kinds of things, help you see around certain corners, uh, and and uh, and anticipate what's what's coming. Um, and so yeah, I think I think you know again, it's it's uh, it's a little it's a little bit of both. We're we're never probably in all the conversations we'd like to be in, just especially in bigger organizations. Mm-hmm. But um, but you've got to you know educate and align with the folks who will be at those at those tables so that they can you know basically be your eyes and ears uh and and mouthpiece when needed. Okay, great. Um cool. So we'll one more kind of like uh specific question and then we'll close out a little bit about like how should someone think about trying to pursue a career and enablement and stuff like that. But um something I've found uh that that's a common that's that's a problem that's more common than not is kind of this like telephone effect. Mm-hmm. particularly if you have a pretty technical product. So like when I was at Glassdoor, not a super technical product, uh, not a lot lost in translation. You know, New Relic, security tools, like where you're at today, that definitely is um, a, a dis- distinct possibility. Um, because pretty much what's happening in, in my observation is you've got a, a product manager that's maybe working with a um, a product marketer, that product marketer is summarizing the information, then they're kind of educating you, then you and your team are kind of bundling that up and making it palpable for sales. And somewhere along the way, the territory no longer matches the map. Um, you know, the mental model that the the seller has maybe coming out of that, um, if it's not informed by very, uh, you know, eye-opening conversations with the with the people they're selling to, letting them know they're they're kind of missing the mark. You know, yeah. you, you can kind of be pretty far off. So, how do you think about um, minimizing that loss through the process, and maybe making sure that you're creating like good feedback loops so that that's you know that doesn't happen as much? Yeah, I, I do a lot of I've done a lot of work in my career, and actually one of one of the things I really enjoy about the job is you know helping product marketing um, product teams really um you know help them sell the thing into sales is all how i always i've always looked at it you know and and oftentimes uh you, you see it you see a new feature function whatever it is it it's it's positioned as like here's all the cool things it does but really nothing about like well what's the what's the market context you know like why why did we build this what 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 market problem does it solve are we trying to get uh you know competitive parity are we trying to like leapfrog the, the the competition in the market um is it a table stakes thing you know is it something we built one off for like our top customer or whatever uh and then from there it's like well you know what what's my pitch what's the value add you know what's the person i'm talking to about it on the phone gonna say well yeah but we already do this that and the other thing and don't really need it like what objections i'm gonna run into and it's just thinking through like how do i actually you know sell that how do you discover qualify mm. prospect you know objection handle Blah blah blah. What 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 impacts impacts are there to 
How do you trial it? How do you get it in their hands? How do you price it? So it's and and so you know when I start asking those questions, uh, it's really fun to see product marketers go, oh yeah, yeah, right, yeah, let, let's let's you know double down on that. So you know here for example, I've done some done some templates for folks so they can you know to basically kind of step through what's the the ten slide Monty for how a salesperson would want to see this this new product update. Uh, d- delivered in a much more kind of like sales facing way or in a, in, a, in a sales lens. What you find is it's a lot less like about what the thing does, mm-hmm. you know, kind of give me the three bullets, but you know, what, what are the, how do I sell it? How would I, why would I buy it? What's it cost? What's, you know, do we have customers using it today? You know, what are the business outcomes that, that it can achieve? And uh, there's, there's often a lot of story and a lot of really cool stuff you can help kind of tease out about that feature or, or whatever it is that's getting deployed. So that's that's a super fun part of the, the job for me. Very uh, cool. So, yeah. so you're definitely kind of adding value both ways there. It's not just refining the message. You're like back informing or maybe helping these product marketers and whomever see around corners as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, it's, I always ask for things like, hey, let's, you know, let's prescribe as an idiot proof as much as we can, you know, like give me, give what are, what are you know, give me five good qualification questions. Uh, give me, you know, a couple of good customer sound bites that came out of, uh, uh, out of beta testing, you know, like, like, let's, you know, let's, let's really put kind of, um, uh, things in, in the hands of sales that are, you know, much more tactical and actionable that they can actually just capitalize on and use. I always think about, um, you know, training on theory is one thing, but any, any training that you do, a person, a seller should come out of that training and, you know, have a, at least a few new, like, tricks, tips, skills, tidbits, sound bites, whatever that they can put into practice right away to hopefully start making a difference in, in what they're doing. Very cool. Okay, awesome. So as we uh, approach uh, close here, um, what kind of advice would you give people that are uh, enablement curious that are interested in pursuing a similar path? Yeah, I always, like I said earlier, you know, it's funny, I just had this conversation with someone who reached out uh, just a couple weeks ago, which I love, but you know, my, my advice was uh, it, it's really tough to, um, you know, m- make multiple changes at once, right? If you're a seller in a shop and you want to go into enablement, much the path of least resistance for you is to is to play the, the cards you have um, and, and go volunteer, tap on those folks. Like we mm. are always looking for uh, help, basically, and subject matter experts to, you know, deliver a new hire training class to help, you know, bang on some new content to revise old content. Uh, there's a million ways that your enablement team can kind of use you if you're, again, if you're a seller in in, in somewhere and you've got a, a huge amount of value in in what you do and knowing how to talk about and sell and position is, you know, the, and the longer you've lived that life and the further and deeper you've been in the trench, the more valuable that experience is. Uh, so, so go tap on their shoulders and, you know, it's one of those things. It's kind of how I did it was was uh, kind of raising my hand and uh, and and helping, and that eventually turned into uh, you know turned into a job offer for me. So I, I think that's the, the the best way to do it. Obviously, work your network. You know, if you're a great seller somewhere, uh, you know, maybe you you have an old colleague that's gone on to a different role is looking for help, and that maybe is one way you could move over and into a new shop. But um, the, the, I think the common path is for folks, sellers, especially moving into enablement, uh, to try to like move within the current organization that they're in. Makes sense. Yeah. I think like the other thing I'll say too, is, you know, don't, don't do it too early. I've, I've often get calls from, you know, SDRs who've, who've been in the role for, you know, for a year or two for maybe junior sellers have been in the role for a couple of years, 
uh, you know, be cautious on not selling yourself short. You've you've done a lot of hard work, especially if you're, you know, if, if you're a, G, a commercial seller somewhere and maybe you did some time as an SDR. Like that's the hardest part of sales. You've cut your teeth. So like go capitalize mm-hmm. on that for a while. You have a lot more to learn. Um, spend some more time, make some more money, develop your skills, uh, you know, maybe lead a team. From there, if you do want to go into enablement, you have a very, very different value proposition than mm-hmm. you know if you if you've only got a a couple of years of sales, let's say. So, so don't uh, don't don't move too quickly or sell yourself short. Yeah, I've seen something similar with like SDR leadership, where you know um, a, a typical path that some of these organizations can follow is you go SDR, SDR team lead, then you become an SDR manager, and yeah. um, instead of going over and closing, maybe get up to at least commercial sales or greater. And coming yeah. back, and the on-target earnings be- difference between those two, essentially arriving in the same place, are, are very different. Yeah. And um, you know, the former can kind of put you in a career cul-de-sac because then you have to commit, convince people that you can carry a bag um, in a way that you are like next in line to carry one earlier. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. The career cul-de-sac, I like that. But uh, no, it's it's you know, it's part of that is just being. Uh, you know, a good steward of your own career and kind of where you are and what you've done and, you know, what are the next steps look like for you, uh, you know, in, in, in a sales role and, and where do you want to ultimately get to? Um, you can, you'll never go wrong having, you know, more full cycle sales experience. Like mm-hmm. you'll always be able to get a job and there's a number of different avenues you can take once you develop a solid skill set in in that arena. Love it. Well, I think that's a perfect place to end. Uh, Jim, if anyone wants to get in touch with you uh, or perhaps learn more about um, your current employer, uh, what's what's uh, the best way they could reach you? Yeah, please. Uh, LinkedIn's great. Uh, it's just Jim Rose. Um, email is the Jim Rose at Gmail. Uh, but yeah, yeah, always happy to, to connect and chat and um, share what little I've learned along the way. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Well, thanks for your time, Jim. I had a blast. And uh, thanks again for your time. You bet, man. Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye.